Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Thank you for being here again. So today's message is the final message in our Breaking Oppression series. And uh, in this series, we're talking about areas of our lives that can come under oppression and that will hinder us from experiencing the fullness of God's plan and purpose for our lives. God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, but Satan will attack that purpose. He'll come against that purpose, and uh, he uses oppression as a way to accomplish his plans and purposes. And John 10.10 says this. This talks about uh, Satan or our adversary's plan for our lives. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. So while we face a real spiritual adversary, thank God uh, we have a Savior who loves us, and he has a redemptive plan for us. And in the last part of that same verse, uh, Jesus talks about that. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We have to remember that oppression is something that Satan is using to steal life from us. He's stealing life and purpose, and he'll use something against us to hold us down, to hold us back from uh, fulfilling God's plan for our lives. And remember, God's plan involves this. It involves freedom. In John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is God's plan for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to set us free so that we can fulfill God's plans and purposes. Every one of us know this. If we're oppressed or we feel like we're being held back in an area of our lives, it's difficult then to fulfill what God's calling us to. So we want to be free. So in this series, we want to identify areas of our lives that come under oppression so we can break the power of oppression and we can experience freedom in Christ. All right. So today I want to talk to you about this will be the last message again. Uh, breaking the power of oppressing religion. Breaking the power of oppressing religion. So to, de- to get a better understanding of what that means or what oppressing religion is uh, or how it manifests, let's go to the book of James. We're going to look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, just two verses. It says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God. And the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I hear a lot of people quote that part of the verse, but they never go on to the next part, which is just as important. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So James describes caring for orphans, caring for widows, and keeping oneself from being defiled by this world as pure religion or undefiled religion. And he also describes those who claim to be devout, those who claim to be religious, those who claim to be followers of Christ but cannot control their tongues as, ha- as their religion being considered useless. So let's say this, for, for example. Let's use this as an example. Let's say a person cares for widows, they care for orphans, but they can't control their tongue. Is their religion pure or is it useless? And the answer is very simple. It's useless. It's considered useless. Our words reveal something about our hearts. Jesus said this in, in Luke 6, 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So here's the scenario that happens in church. You know, some of us are repulsed by someone cursing. We can have a tendency to not enjoy hearing people cuss, which I don't, but at the same time, I don't enjoy hearing people gossip, amen? So we'll, we'll be okay with, we'll be like, oh, I, I can't stand when that person's cussing and they're cursing, but they'll kind of, wink their eye at tearing another person down or gossiping. And that just does not compute. That doesn't add up. Jesus says it this, or James says it this way in James chapter 3. 
Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh. So if the water is fresh, it tells you something about its source. If the water is bitter, it tells you something about the source. The words that come out from our, our mouths tells us something about the source. So a Christian will go to church, express praise, express worship, just like we've done here. We'll leave church after we're, we're worshiping God. And hey, did you know, did you hear about so-and-so? Or this, um, did you see what they were wearing today at church? Okay, let me, let me, everyone is entitled to their opinion, right? Not everyone needs to know your opinion. That's the key. Why do we feel like everyone needs to know our opinion? Because there's something with the heart. There's something wrong with the source. There's a problem with the source. The spring looks good on the outside, but the water coming out is bitter. And when the water coming out is bitter, it tells you something about that person's heart, and it's often a manifestation of oppressing religion. But religion does this. It tries to take care of everything on the outside, and it hides what's on the inside. But remember this, it will come out. What's on the inside will come out. So in our, in our religion has an appearance of righteousness. It should flow from a heart that is right with God, a heart that is committed to doing right. But if our heart isn't righteous, if the heart isn't right, and I wouldn't say, listen, just if I, when I say the heart isn't right, I'm just saying this. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not born again. Something's wrong with the heart. Something is taking place in the heart. So oppressive religion can look righteous, but under the surface, it can be bitter, it can be envious, it can be jealous, it can be angry, it can be resentful, indicating, again, that something is wrong with the source. So Satan uses this kind of religion as an opportunity to oppress. And remember this, any inch you give him, he'll take a foot. So we all have our own issues with the flesh, every one of us. But here is the, the, the cover of religion. What we try to do is we try to cover those issues up, pretend they don't exist. And again, that just gives the enemy such a, an opportunity to oppress. And it's useless to do this, church. So we, if we have this appearance where we want to appear right before God, or right before others, but we want to hide our shortcomings, again, Satan will exploit that opportunity. Don't give him that opportunity. Let's go back to what James says about religion. James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And I want to key in on that word deceive or deception. So deception is dangerous. It is dangerous. It is destructive. And it's why we are admonished throughout the scripture to guard our hearts or guard our minds, guard ourselves as a church against false teachers or false teachings. So deception, we're warned throughout the New Testament. Self-deception is what fuels oppressing religion. Self-deception fuels oppressing religion. Self-deception uh, causes us to do this. We'll double down and defend ourselves. So we'll think that we're right when we're wrong. And that's the, the danger of self-deception. In my opinion, it's the worst form of deception is self-deception because it gives you this view. I'm right, everyone else is wrong. And we can be wrong. It is such a dangerous thing. It's fueled by pride. So self-deception blinds us from truth it fuels our pride, and it leads to greater oppression. And it's just a vicious cycle. It's a continual cycle. 
So all Christians, all of us will face oppressing religion. And it doesn't matter if you are part of a revival church, it is on fire. It doesn't matter if you're in that style of church or if you're in a church that is sacramental or liturgical. You can and will experience oppressing religion in every church, every Christian environment. So in the Bible, we have a group of people that we can look at that epitomize oppressive religion. And we think about oppressive religion, we may think of, of false religions or, or something maybe like Islam, which can be very oppressive. But that's not what we're talking about here today. I'm talking about oppressive religion that's in the church. And when we look at a certain group of people in, the, in the, the Bible that could really be a good example, it's the Pharisees. But we have this tendencies with the Pharisees. Well, uh, I can't really identify with the Pharisees uh, because of how they re- interact with Jesus. But the fact of the matter is we have a lot in common with the Pharisees. What they believed and how their views was towards the, the Word of God, don't, don't discount their example. And we tend to give them a bad rap. But here's what we miss. You know, Jesus most likely was raised as a Pharisee. We know this, that Paul himself was definitely a Pharisee before coming to Christ. We know that Nicodemus, before coming to Jesus, was a Pharisee. In fact, most of the early church consisted of people who were once Pharisees. So the Pharisees had, a, had more in common with Jesus than they didn't have in common. All of these groups within Judaism, there's all kinds of varieties of Jews and how they worship. But again, the Pharisees had the most in common with Jesus. However, at the same time, this same group was more hostile towards Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rebukes the Pharisee with with seven woes. And before we read some of these rebukes, please put yourself in the position of the Pharisees. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's okay. Put yourself in the position of the Pharisees, because again, we'll find more in common with the Pharisees than we don't have in common. But like the Pharisees, we can be oppressed by religion. So imagine Jesus speaking these words to us today. Here we go. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to who? And to his disciples. So he's giving them a warning here. Saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in, the, in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So oppressing religion becomes hypocritical. It becomes hypocritical. And Jesus warns his followers not to follow this example. In church, it's so easy to fall into this example. It's so natural to the flesh. Self-deception will fuel hypocrisy. and Self-deception hinders us from seeing our own hypocrisy. And we believe we're right when actually we're wrong. And again, it's a vicious cycle. So not being able to see ourselves as we are makes us in a very prideful position as well. So let's go on down, continue down through uh, verse 5. It says, But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. They love to the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, Uh, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. So we may think, again, we see this as, well, I I don't need the most important seat in church. I don't need to be recognized. I don't need to be seen. I don't think that's the picture we need to see here. What what we see here is this. They were more concerned how they were seen by others, how they were received by others. And that's something we can all fall prey to, is not how we're seen by God, but how we're seen by others. 
And that can be so oppressive. It's such an opportunity for Satan just to step in and to oppress. So the Pharisees placed an emphasis on how they were seen or perceived. And again, we are no different today. No different. So oppressing religion manifests in church frequently, especially when there's an altar call. Here's how it will manifest. We'll feel conviction. We'll feel like the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. But there's this tendency to do this. When the altar call is given, I, I don't need to respond. I'll just respond here. But what it does is this. It creates an opportunity for us just to be humble, to express humility. And again, whenever you can express humility and show, show a humble heart, you are welcoming grace into your life. So oppressing religion will manifest in this way. I'll just put it off or... And back in my mind, what is people, what are they going to think of me? That that weighs in so much more than we like to admit. And it makes us this, we're concerned about what people think rather than what God thinks. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples in order to avoid this dilemma. Here's, again, here's the opportunity. This is how you combat this. Matthew 23, verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, throughout this entire series, there's been a, a repeated message. The repeated message is beware of pride and combat pride with humility. The path of humility always leads towards freedom. It always leads towards freedom. Oppressing religion will steal life from you and it will pull you down the path of pride. We must resist that with our flesh and every fiber of our being and submit ourselves to God. Humility is an expression of our submission to God, and it leads to grace. Look at verse 13, Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering entering to go in. So oppressive religion is not only dangerous to our soul, what happens is when it gets worse, it makes it dangerous to other people. Here's what I mean by that. If we're being oppressed, we can try to win people to Jesus. We'll try to win people to Christ. We'll invite them to church. Uh, But what happens is this. We're unaware of the the religious nature that we have. It just kind of oozes out of us. We can't stop it from happening. If we're being oppressed, it just kind of oozes out of us. And people are like, you know what? I really don't want to be a part of that. I mean, I've seen this person become bitter. I've seen they've talked about people at their church or they made comments. Why on earth? what I want to go to that church. Why on earth would I want that, what they have? That's not what I want. So when we're oppressed, we'll, we'll find it difficult to win people to Jesus. Oppressing religion is, for lack of a better term, is like BO, body odor, right? So it's like body odor. Uh, we either do this. Some people have body odor, and they just don't care. Um, and there are some people that are like that. Just, they don't really care. Or we aren't aware of it, and we can't understand why people don't want to be around us. So re- oppressing religion does the same thing. And, and we can become so oppressed that, again, it just kind of oozes out of us. We don't even realize that we're putting off, off this aroma. So the more we try to stop it, if we do become aware of it, we try to stop it, we try to hide it, we try to cover it. And you know what it does? It just keeps on oozing out. It just it can't, it can't stay covered. And it just keeps on flowing. And what happens is we just repel people from Jesus. So oppressing religion not only affects us, it affects others. James said it like this, bitter water comes from a spring. It, the spring, there's a source. There's a reason why the water that's coming out of that source is bitter. So it appears to be pure, but when you taste it, it reveals the true nature of that water. So it appears to be pure, 
but one taste reveals its true nature. Under the oppression of religion, we can be condescending. Uh, we can be negative. We can lack true compassion. Uh, we can be hypocritical. I mean, it will just drive people away, forces them away. So if we want to experience freedom from oppressing religion or any type of oppression, please hear me, humility is the key. It is the key. So when we humble ourselves, what do we do? We take ourselves out of a position of self, what we want, our desires, our personal priorities. When we take that out of the equation, it's amazing what God can do in our lives. When we try to uh, pre preserve self or we try to uh, press our personal preferences, it can be very damaging. It can, be, it can just repel people away. So what does humility look like? Paul writes about humility and uses the example of Jesus. Care, carefully listen to these words. Just think about who Jesus is, God in the flesh, and think about what Paul's writing about him here in Philippians. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? So not only to, to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with other, one another, have the same mindset as, Jesus, as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What an incredible example of humility. And that's exactly our example has to be. Our example can't be me, it can't be anyone else. It can't be the, the most humble person you know on the planet. That your example is not them. Your example is Christ. This is the who the, who the Holy Spirit empowers us to be like, is more like Jesus, not like someone we love or we respect. So humility does not come natural to the flesh. Uh, if you give your life to Jesus, uh, it doesn't automatically take place. It's not like, well, I gave my life to Jesus 10 years ago. I'm waiting for that humility factor to kick in any time. It doesn't work that way. Humility is a, a spiritual fruit. It's a virtue, so it has to be developed. And humility will be developed where pride, where self or selfishness, and personal preferences reign. That's where you'll develop humility. You don't develop humility on a good day. You develop humility on a bad day. And when our self wants to rise up, that's the opportunity we can establish humility in our lives. So humility is a choice but it must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you try to uh, be humble, but the source is not the Holy Spirit, the source are good intentions, you're going to fail. Good intentions uh, won't get you very far. Because what happens is good intentions, really, they spark from our, our self. And at some point we do this, I'm tired of being humble. I'm tired of being submissive. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. And that's why your source has to be the Holy Spirit. So if we don't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, our humility will be short-lived. So this is why getting closer to Jesus, getting closer to the source of pureness is so important. Again, if we try to be humble, if we try to be pure without getting closer to Jesus, it is a train wreck. It won't, take, it won't happen. You can only do it for so long because what's going to happen is this. Bad days are going to come. 
testing situations are going to come, and this is not in you. You don't have the, so- the resources. You don't have the, you don't have the spiritual uh, firepower to, to resist. And what happens is you just get weak in your flesh. Every one of us becomes like this. So humility is something that we have to embrace, we have to practice in our daily lives as a spiritual discipline. So we will experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit when we humble ourselves. Humility allows us to avoid so many traps, church. There are so many traps the enemy lays for us. I, I, I am terrible at this sometimes. I, I open my mouth before I think. You know, the devil will use us as well. And sometimes he'll do it this way. We can be kidding. I, I love to kid and I love to joke. But sometimes that kidding and joke at the wrong time, Satan can use and exploit. So none of us are above this. But I'm just saying this. If we were just, if we would just take a stance or a view of humility... It will cost us, it won't cost us as much. We'll, we'll see the landmines that are laid out there. They become more evident. Humility, humility allows us to avoid so many traps the enemy lays before us. Humility gets us out of the way, and we get ourselves out of the way that we can see a clearer picture. So Jesus goes on to say this to the Pharisees who were experiencing oppression. Uh, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And again, you just have to admire the, the Pharisees in many aspects. They're committed. They're devoted. I mean, they would, they would take such precious care of the physical word of God, the scrolls. They would be meticulous on how they uh, tithe. They were meticulous on their washing, their ceremonies, what, reflecting their heart, their desire to be pure. But at the same time, they would neglect the more important things, which was this, how we treat each other. So again, these people would would tithe all the way down to their spices, but would fail to show mercy and grace. And tithing is important. We should should tithe, and I get that. Uh, Tithing should do this. It should should indicate that something good has taken place in our hearts. I mean, we don't don't tithe for these reasons. Hopefully, we don't tithe that we're seen by anyone else, we're, we're recognized by anyone else. Hopefully, we tithe because... We feel this, God is a generous God. He's shown me generosity. So because of the abundance of his generosity, I want to give. I want to be a giver. Jesus Jesus gave his life. He's a giver. I want to be more like Jesus. Hopefully that's the source of our giving. Giving generously from the heart. Mercy and grace to someone else. I, I can't do that. And again, what does that tell you? It tells you something about the source. Something was wrong with the source. Jesus goes on to say this to the Pharisees. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. So listen to what Jesus says to people who are under oppressing religion. Oppression blinds us, first and foremost. It it just blinds us. The The issues that we're struggling with inwardly, we're blind to. So we try to deal with those issues outwardly. We, we've all heard this phrase, fake it till you make it, right? That is a terrible phrase, by the way. Especially when you're dealing with issues of the heart. Fake it till you make it. That just opens the door for oppression. So when a person gossips, uh, I always say this, why? Why, why does a person gossip? Why, why do they feel like they need to tell a story? So what's the intention? What's the motivation? Well, I'm, I'm sharing this information out of concern. That's a false humility, by the way. 
I'm, I'm sharing this information out of concern for you when that's not the motivation. The motivation really is this. Something, some, we just don't, sometimes people, we don't feel valued. We don't feel important. So we think this, that I could share this information and someone will receive me and perceive me as being important because I have this, this knowledge or I have this information that they didn't have and it makes me look better, it makes me look more important. And now while people, if, when we gossip, we won't ever acknowledge that, but that is exactly the driving force behind it. We want to be seen, and, uh, seen, perceived, received by others differently than what we feel like we are. So something inside is triggering the response. Again, what does it go back to? It goes back to the heart. It goes back to the source. So I'm, I'm asking you all to do this. Listen to the Holy Spirit as this word is preached today. Listen to it. Don't, don't say, well, I, I, you know, the Pharisees, you know, I can't really see myself as a Pharisee. But you know what? Again, all of us can get into this religious trap. And, and these are warning signs to us. So if bitter water is flowing from a spring, the bitterness is coming from somewhere, and that source is the heart. And don't turn a blind eye to what's coming out of our lives. Church, until we look honestly and inwardly, and respond with humility to religion, it, it will continue to fester and grow in our lives. It will steal life from us. Let's go on down to Matthew 26, or 23, verse 27. Uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So hypocrisy is perhaps the worst manifestation of oppressing religion. When Jesus walked this earth, you know, he was encountered by many people, many people who were expecting him. They were expecting the Messiah to come. They studied diligently. They knew the word of God. When the Messiah comes, they will identify him. And when he begins to show up and he preaches the kingdom of God, they totally reject him. The same people that were anticipating the Messiah to come totally rejected him. Why? Because he didn't fit inside their little religious box. So we all, we all have these little boxes, church, and churches have their own little boxes as well. The Pharisees were devoted to the Word. They were, again, meticulous about preserving the Scriptures. They based their daily life, everything they could do, uh, how they washed their hands, everything they did, they wanted to center around the Scriptures. They wanted to interpret the scriptures, and live that out. Everything they could do, every aspect of life, they try to do this. And it's tragic. It's really a tragic story when you read the Bible, when you read about the Pharisees, these people who so love the Word, but when the Word of God shows up, they miss Him. It's really a tragic story. On one occasion, occasion Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. Healed this person on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and this was an issue with the Pharisees. Imagine this. It's like someone being healed on Sunday in church. Now, why would we have an issue with that? Of course, we wouldn't, right? But they did. And if, unless you know their story, and unless you understand their interpretation of the Scriptures, then we, we just think they're crazy. But they have something right, and they have something wrong. So we think of the Sabbath as the day we go to church, but it's a day of rest. So Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and rather than rejoicing, the Pharisees are angry. Why are they angry? Well, miracle or not, they consider it a work. Or a miracle was a work. And there is no work on the Sabbath period even for God. No work. In their minds, they reason this. God commanded us not to work. He rested, and he commands us to rest on the Sabbath. So if these miracles were from God, he would then be going against his own word. He would be violating his own word. And God doesn't violate his own word. So this man, miracle or not, 
whether whoever he proclaims to be is wrong. He does not do miracles on the Sabbath and in the synagogue because God would never do that. But God in the flesh did that. Isn't that amazing how religion is so deceptive? And it exposes some hypocrisy as well. So Jesus is God in the flesh. He personifies the Word of God. But again, they didn't see it. They just see a man violating their understanding of the Scriptures. You know, our community is saturated with this. I call it um, matriarchal and patriarchal Christianity. Some of you already nod your head. You You already know what I'm talking about. It's not based on really what the Word says. It's based on what grandma, grandpa, mom, or dad, or someone we loved and respected says about the Bible. It's not that we've taken the time to really delve into the Word of God ourselves and feast on it and and let it establish our lives. We just take the Word of someone else, and that is so dangerous, so dangerous to do. And what it does is just fuels religion, and it fuels hypocrisy. So God in the flesh wasn't fitting into their little box. And they didn't see that this man was uh, God in the flesh doing the miracles. They saw a man violating the Word of God. So Jesus understands this. Rather than turning his back on him, he tells him something. He's trying to help them out. Listen to how he responds. Uh, Luke 14. Then he answered them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out, of the pit, pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Jesus asked them, which one of you, again, you have, a, you have livestock, that livestock has fallen to a pit, that livestock is invulnerable, whether it's to injury or to a predator, which one of you in your right minds would leave that animal stuck in a hole? And the answer is, of course, no one would do that. No one would, would lack that compassion. I mean, this animal could be a tool to them in their trade. This animal could be important to them, whatever. Who on earth would allow that animal to stay in that pit? But under their understanding, if they did that, they're committing, they're hypocritical. See, there's a, here is Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue, doing good, doing a miracle, doing something that is merciful. And these same people would be hypocritical then if they pulled their animal out of a hole. So this is what religion will do to us. It makes us uh, hypocritical. I don't know if we're too proud to admit it sometimes or we're just too blind to see it. But we have to be very cautious when it comes to religion. When we're under the oppression of religion, this is what happens to us. Watch for these signs, please, because this is kind of what oozes out sometimes. We can be prideful. We can be cynical. We can be negative. We can be critical. We can be harsh. We can be judgmental. We can be divisive. We can be controlling. I mean, the list goes on and on, but there are so many things that, Again, we come to church, we try to be right, and then these things just ooze out from us. What's it telling us? Something's wrong with the source. Pay attention to the source. Because if you don't pay attention to the source, it's going to make you hypocritical. So if we can't see ourselves in some of these behaviors and the attitudes of the Pharisees, I would, I would caution you, you might be in a vulnerable position. So remember, the path to freedom is grace, and grace is available to anyone who humbles himself. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace the humble. We need the grace of God. What does grace do? Grace welcomes the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Grace welcomes the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Grace welcomes the restoring power of the Holy Spirit. Grace welcomes freedom in Christ. Grace welcomes victory in Christ. Why? Because grace does this. It opens the door and it gives the freedom of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, pride is a cancer. Pride is a cancer and it will destroy every part of your being, every virtue that Christ is trying to establish in you. It will just eat it up. It will tear it away. Jesus gives us a great example of the Scripture. 
Jesus gives us a great example in the scriptures how we can be diligent about embracing grace into our lives. And it's Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So what do we see with the Pharisee already? Pride. We see a lot of pride. He can't even see his own shortcomings, and he's got them. He's like everyone. We've all got them. We all got issues with the flesh, but he's not focused on him before God. He's focused on other people. Again, please don't fall into that trap. Just, just take care of your own self. Amen? Just take care of your own self. So he falls into this trap, and he's outwardly focused, and he's not allowing himself to fall under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Here he's praying. Allow the Holy Spirit, when you pray, to search your heart. Allow him to search your mind. Allow him to search your motives. But when we say this, God, uh, I'm worried about someone else, man, you're going to miss it. What does he say? The tax collector says, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Again, notice this. He's putting all the attention back on himself. And that's what pride would do. It makes you so self-centered, so self-focused. And it becomes so self-deceiving. And it makes you so hypocritical. It can make you so resistant to grace by doing that. So he sees himself as pure. I mean, look at what he's saying. He thinks he's pure before God. I'm right before God. Everything is right. This person over here, they're not right. But I'm right. I'm right before you. Here's the tax collector's stance. And the tax collector, look, standing off afar, he's in the background, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Man, what a powerful story. What do we see in the tax collector? What we need to see in all of us, humility. Where there's humility, there is grace. Where there is grace, there is forgiveness. Where there is grace, there is healing. Where there is grace, there is, again, restoration, transformation, new life, freedom, hope. It's all in there. It's all contained. A humble heart is receptive, but a prideful heart is resistant to grace. Jesus goes on to say this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, we can never go wrong if we choose the path of humility. It's a spiritual discipline. If you need healing, if you need victory, if you need restoration, if you need deliverance, freedom, if we're serious about being a church that welcomes freedom into it, if we feel like that, if we really feel that our community is full of religion, if we really want to be different then, if we really want to be a church that offers hope, if we really want to be a church that offers healing, if we really want a church where people can get established in God's word and become the person that God's called them to be, then humility and grace is a must. We're serious about experiencing life and life abundantly as a church. Giving life to this community, humility will be a key. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.